My name's Cutter Calloway, and I'm Assistant Professor of Theology and Culture at Fuller Theological Seminary. Welcome to Fuller Studio. Welcome to TV and Theology, an audio series in which we construct a theology of television to help viewers more fully engage with the power and meaning of TV. This season, I talk with TV writer and my co-author, Dean Batali. And welcome back to our week three podcast with us engaging and having conversation about theology and TV. We are your hosts. I'm Cutter Calloway. And I'm Dean Batali. It's very odd to just sort of say your name just to present yourself, I, I'm, uh, it's making me uncomfortable. Should we get a pseudonym? I don't know. Him? I feel like there, um, was, there should be an announcer that says, now, here's Cutter Calloway. And, and do you know why you feel that way? Because of SNL. Is it? I, that I, I want know. an announcer? That's we should right. all we have announcers in our lives, I think. Yeah. Um, and like an Ella DeGeneres stand-up, she once said, they applauded her when she came out. And she said, everyone should start work that's that true. way. That's true. Being applauded, a standing ovation. I agree. So, all right. Uh, well, that's our podcast for today. <laughs> thanks for joining us. Uh, but we will pipe in, in post-production, some uh, standing applause good. and an announcer. Good, good. Uh, Dean Batali, writer of That 70s Show. Um, in our last episode, we were talking a little bit about um, audiences, a little bit about uh, what they see as valuable, how they connect um, with a show, and but more from the pr- perspective of the writer. So what is the writer and writers of a show, uh, what are they trying to communicate and do they care <laughs> what it is uh, or who it is that their audience is and, 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 and how it is that they go about uh, connecting with the show? Um, to sort of set up this, uh, coming back to the uh, Augustine uh, and his sort of theory of communication, um, there's a number of, of different ways that we think about communication, uh, both in sort of cultural studies and media studies, but then just as, as everyday folks uh, talking to one another. One is this theory of communication as transmission, and that's what we talked about last time. So um, I have this deposit of knowledge that I'm transmitting to another person, another place. Um, if it's an email, I'm taking this written text and transmitting it. If it's radio, um, if it's a podcast like this, um, we are uh, capturing something, um, and it's static in a lot of ways, and it's given to someone or something else. But there's also a notion that communication has ritual elements, that it's a it's a thing that we do that involves other people. It involves um, the things that we love and our desires, um, our sort of desperate longings, as, as Dean brought up uh, last time uh, with Augustine. Um, and Augustine really is a, a great Christian thinker on the question of desire, that we all long for something. He thinks if you follow that long enough, it's, it's actually God that we're longing for, but we don't know it. Um, so we just have sort of these misdirected desires that are are disoriented because we see that they are an end in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, a great book uh, that talks a little bit about this is uh, by James K. Smith. Um, he has two, actually, one called Imagining the Kingdom and Desiring the Kingdom. I'd highly recommend them. Um, and here's a quote that, that he says. He says, in short, um, they, uh, which are cultural practices like watching TV. So in short, TV watching um, and, and, and the practice of TV watching is meaning laden, laden, identity forming practices that subtly shape us precisely because they grab hold of our love. 
They are automating our desire and action without our conscious recognition. So what he says is that basically <laughs> um, cultural producers, especially in a sort of capitalist world where a lot of it is about um, economic exchange, that, that capitalism actually knows the human being better than the Christian tradition because it realized that, that human beings are desiring, loving creatures. And a lot of, if you go into a mall or go anywhere else, a big part of, of their success is dependent upon steering our desire towards the next great t-shirt or pair yeah. of shoes or car or whatever, yeah. knowing that that thing is actually not going to fulfill us so that we come back for that same longing and it's you know, this perpetual cycle. Um, as a as a person that makes culture um, and, and is in this process where you've got a studio and a, and a, um, a network and a showrunner kind of standing above you at times, um, what, do you, what do you think about that notion? Do you think that TV writers know human beings better <laughs> in some ways than the church does? Um, or are you even aware of, of what people are desiring when you write a show? Well, I actually think that culture makers uh, take advantage of the human condition mm -hmm. rather than know it. That's uh, maybe your propaganda point. Right. Certainly, certainly advertisers do, saying you need this to be happy or you need this to be liked. Uh, I actually start to wonder if um, networks and um, content deliverers kind of think the same way. Um, you want to laugh. You want to be a part of community. You know, a lot of people think that... Um, that everybody has a desire for community and that that kind of leads to a desire to be with God. I think that's true, although I not know a lot of introverts who don't want community. <laughs> they just kind of want to be left alone. Maybe they want to be known by people and by known, then if people know them more, they will be left alone. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that the culture makers that I've worked with think at this level very much. And this is one of my frustrations with the culture makers mm -hmm. that I've worked with is that we don't think enough at this level. Um, we're not thinking about what we're saying in our art or in our television. Now, we are looking at what, you know, if we do an episode about um, a woman who manipulates a man, let's say, there, there does become a discussion where we go, well, are we, what are we saying about women in this episode? <laughs> you know, that they're all manipulative. Yeah. Or if we do an episode about uh, a man who's closed-minded and stubborn, are we saying all men are closed-minded and stubborn? Mm -hmm. Now, some of you maybe say resoundingly, yes, they are. Mm -hmm. But my point is we do think on that level. If we do a show about um, somebody who steals something, we generally want to show that there are consequences to that. That was a big deal with our um, the head of standards and practices at Fox on that 70s show who wanted to make sure that the kids did something wrong, that there were consequences to mm -hmm. what they did. Now, what the network decided was wrong and what they had to have consequences for were different things. Yeah, yeah. If they stole something or broke something, they had to have consequences, but there was never any consequences to their sexual activity. Very rarely were there any consequences. There was hardly ever any consequences to them smoking pot. There were rarely any consequences, consequences to them generally being slackers in life. Yeah. So that's a different sort of level. We didn't think on that level, and I thought that we should. In a broader sense, you hardly ever on television show people's consequences to not having relationships with God. So when you start talking about meaning and theology in a huge, huge sense, yeah. you know, what are the consequences of Jack Bauer's life of nothing but justice and no mercy? You know, I mean, at what level do we think about that? Breaking Bad, you know, the consequences of the life and the evil that this man had done. Now, spoiler alert, there are consequences mm -hmm, to that mm -hmm. in the entirety of the series. But uh, we generally didn't think a lot about 
um, our audience in terms of um, how is this going to affect them on a certainly not on a spiritual level or on a behavioral level. And that's one of my one of my frustra frustrations. We tried to know the audience. And remember that when you're writing on a television show, your audience is the people who are already watching that television show. Yeah, yeah. So for on that 70 show it was 15 to 20 million people at the time that were generally young, generally a certain kind of worldview to begin with. Um, so it becomes a little um, myopic, I think, in terms mm. of we're only thinking about the people that are already thinking about us. And that's why I think television ends up being, I'll say, a little bit closed-minded because they aren't thinking about the broader culture and the effects that they have on 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 the people that are watching the show. Yeah. And probably most of your audience were slackers smoking pot having sex, <laughs> you know. I don't know about that, but but uh, although they wished that they were. There was know? a study, there was an odd study that showed that um, teenagers who watched shows with high uh, sexual content um, actually uh, then had more sexual activity in their lives. Now, that that study was kind of, there was, it wasn't quite, it wasn't, it never quite showed causality. Yeah. It might have been the people that were more promiscuous were watching Watch shows show. with more promiscuity. Yeah. But, um, but I do think about that a lot. I actually think that um, a lot of the shows I've even worked on have been damaging to our culture. I'm, it's kind of, I get some flack for saying this because some people will say, well, then what were you doing on that show? Um, but um, I think a lot of television can be kind of damaging, again, because it shows people not engaging with God, not really thinking about the consequences of their actions, and living a life of morality that doesn't necessarily line up with Scripture. Um, again, not all the characters are this way. And by the way, not all the creators are this way, too. Yeah. The people I worked with were very moral people, had some pretty strong moral codes, yeah. actually, but they didn't always translate to their characters. And also what they thought was um, allowable to do, I had different opinions about as somebody who tries to hold to a biblical worldview. So my morality did not line up with theirs. Um, they might not think there's anything wrong with premarital sex, for example, sure. or drug use. Um, but that doesn't mean they were necessarily bad people, the people that I that I worked with. It's just that it didn't necessarily translate to we want to put forth a different sort of salt and or light into yeah. our culture. Yeah. Well, and it, I mean, you're raising even bigger points, I think, that are important of what it looks like to be a Christian presence in in the world and in culture. Um, often we position ourselves as if we've got the truth and our job is when it comes to communication to communicate as loudly as possible. And right. if people aren't hearing, we just yell louder. Right. Um, right. And that just, one, it's not effective and creates a lot of enemies. Um, but we do live in a, a pluralistic world where we don't share. Our story is one of multiple different options. By the way, you can yell quite loudly and actually quite obnoxiously if you have the talent to do so. <laughs> so this is a lot of filmmakers and a lot of writers on television. If you're a talented enough writer, you can say anything you want and put uh, any worldview on the air. So my issue isn't with the Christians who want to yell loudly. Yeah. It's that if it's that they need to understand how to yell better. Yeah, that's a, oh, that's a great way to say it. That that if you're going to be, <laughs> you're going to be obnoxious. Yeah. You have to have the talent to back yeah, it up. Exactly, right? exactly. And and you know, to be honest, most people and we would. We probably give them a break to a certain degree, the ones who are talented and then, you know, not even Christian, but just anybody yeah. that's making something. Yeah. If we know they've they've got talent, they're telling really quality stories, um, we kind of give them a pass if right. if something, they, they miss the mark for one show or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, it's a great point of, of we have to earn the right to be heard. Yeah. And part of that is respecting the art, respecting the craft, and 
and training ourselves in those tools. And by um, the way, look how and, and just, you know, you can see why some artists get kind of heady and kind of arrogant, because if you have a television show that's being watched by 20 or 30 million people and being talked about online, uh, you know, you can start to feel you're pretty important and your point of view is more important than others, which is why you see actors and writers speaking out on issues they might not even know about because people are telling us we're valuable and they like us. Yeah. And it, it uh, really, there's there's so many parallels, um, which is why I love this idea of the, the writer's room and, and mm-hmm. think about it in terms of how Christian leaders lead, um, because it's the same thing. I mean, you see so many, um, you know, pastoral leadership, the failures there of all sorts of kinds, um, but just the moral failings often come out of a place where someone starts buying their own press, um, and then they end up uh, getting in a context where nobody can be critical of them. And, uh, hmm. and, and they think it's a very myopic view and they think their view is the only view yeah. and they can say it as loudly and without any sort of result, you know, uh, consequences that they want. Imagine if every sermon in America was written by a writer's room instead of a pastor. <laughs> so the pastor yeah. can still be the showrunner, but if he or she had people around them actually contributing to that, yeah. I mean, I know they tend to surround themselves, but it's like the actual teaching moment of, yeah. of the church service if that was uh, done with more input and uh, yeah. and more. Well, yeah, it's a, just a fascinating model. I mean, obviously, not every writer's room product ends up being amazing, right? Uh, because right, right. and maybe we'll get to that in a little bit of you talking about. Um, why well, some it's of it, not better. <laughs> the short answer is because there's a deadline. Yeah. You know, yeah. every episode has to be done by a certain time, yeah. and so you know, and then you have to do a lot at once. Which again is a, a great parallel to the sermon or whatever. You always have Sunday yeah, coming right. up, right? I mean, yeah. so there are these deadlines, but. That doesn't mean that you can't be collaborative. That that value that there's not value in that. And I think you're right. I think um, in terms of of, of Christian leaders uh, leaning into instead of away from the sort of writers' room model would really be helpful in in all sorts of ways. Not only a better teaching moment, but then just for our own sort of ethics of of making sure that our pastors, our leaders aren't set up for failure because yeah. I know for me, anyway, you give me, <laughs> you blow up my head enough and tell me I'm great enough and give me enough success and then eliminate any sort of accountability and I'm going to mess things up. Um, and, and by the way, I'll add this and we may get into this at a little later time, but one of the issues I see right now in the art that's being made for the faith audience is it's hardly collaborative at all. Yeah. You have these people who are making independent films uh, without any collaboration from people who ha- have actually done it before. And so we're getting art that it is a very low level uh, in terms of, uh, you know, unless you're a genius, yeah. you need people around you. Um, and that's not something that's happening a lot in these dozens, hundreds of independent faith films that are being made by mm-hmm. churches on their own rather than reaching out for collaboration. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and even the genius who might have had some successes on their own, you always get that sort of magnum opus. And the first thought is he or she could have used an editor, right. you know, and yeah. that said, no, that was too much or that's, yeah. you know, yeah. um, so I, I think that's a great point. So let's, uh, let's wrap it there for this week and uh, we'll come back to this and more in the following weeks. Thanks so much for joining us. You've been listening to a production of Fuller Studio. Fuller Studio provides articles, podcasts, videos, and other resources for a deeply formed spiritual life. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit us at fuller.edu studio.